Thank you, choir. Thank you, orchestra. And I'm sure that that is uh, all of our desires as we listen, as I watch the words on that song and listen to you sing. That uh, would be our desire, would it not? When I was a boy, sometimes I would join something, get involved in something, and then after a while I became bored with it and uh, would want to quit. My parents would never allow me to quit, however, because their motto was a quitter never wins and a winner never quits. I suppose that is the reason that even to this day that I have more or greater admiration for those who are unusually committed more so than those who are unusually gifted. For instance, with a football team, I want a team that knows there are four quarters to play. They don't quit at halftime. They don't quit in the third quarter. They don't quit if they get behind. They understand that there is an entire game to be played and they are committed to the very end. When I have a staff member, I want a staff member who will help me find the solution to an issue rather than telling me 17 reasons why something won't work. I just want somebody and I admire someone who is committed. That is also true in personal lives. For instance, a husband and wife who marry, they are committed to each other. Like Roland and Millie, 71 years. Do you think that they never had any problems? Sometimes someone will come to me and they'll tell me that they're having marital problems and I'll listen to them. And to be honest with you, I'm not a good counselor. It's the reason I don't counsel. Because when you're talking, I'm thinking, man, I went through that. That's not any big deal. You see, you just fight it out. You just fight it out and go through it and stay together. But there's that commitment. I think the reason people stay together is because they are committed, not because they always feel warm and fuzzy about each other. There is commitment. I admire that. I admire parents who never give up on their children. They just continue to pray. They continue to believe. They continue to expect that that child is going to do right, but they never give up on it. Today I want to speak to you about your commitment to Christ. What kind of commitment do you have to the Lord? Is it a commitment of convenience or is it a genuine commitment? Take your Bible, starting with me, to John chapter 15. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love." 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Florence Nightingale was asked about the secret of her commitment to the Lord and she replied, well, I can only give one explanation. That is, I have kept nothing back from God. In verse number one, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Now that would imply if he is the true vine that there must be a false vine. So I am the true vine, thus there has to be a false vine. And the Bible teaches us that that would be Satan who disguises himself as being the true vine. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So Satan then presents himself as being the true vine. He presents himself as being the true light. He disguises himself so that he might deceive us into believing that he is the true vine, that he is the light. So the scripture says in Matthew 24, 11, and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. So when Jesus says that I am the true vine, that implies there is a false vine. But Jesus says I am the true vine. The word true means real. It means legitimate. It means genuine. And folks, everything about Jesus is genuine. There is nothing false about Jesus. There is nothing deceptive about Jesus. He is the true vine. Satan disguises himself as being the true vine, as the true light, but Jesus is the true vine. The Bible says in John 1, 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus is the true light. You know, people wander around in darkness, they're looking for answers. If you want to know the answers of life, then you'll find it in Christ. Why? Because he is the true light. He shines on the pathway that leads us to the Father. The Bible says that he is the true light, that he is the true bread that came down out of heaven. The scripture says in John 6, 32, it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Spiritual nourishment comes from the Lord. You know, a lot of times we look for spiritual nourishment in a lot of strange places but spiritual nurture comes from the Lord. He is the true bread out of heaven. He is the true doctrine. Matthew twenty-two sixteen, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth. Jesus is the true teacher who instructs us in the ways of God. If you want to know what is true, then you look to the word of God. The Bible says that he is the true judgment. John 8, 16, my judgment is true. He is the true judge who dispenses justice. We're all looking for justice. People want justice. We only find it in the Lord Jesus. So he says Jesus is the true vine. Well, what does that mean then? That means that he is the source of life. You know that the branches receive their life from their connection to the vine, correct? You cut the branches off from the vine, there is no life. So when Jesus says that he is the true vine, it means then that he is the source of life. 
He is the source of eternal life. The scripture says in Acts 4 verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Folks, I know that that is a controversial statement to make. I, I know that there are those who, who criticize those who believe the Bible in saying that, well, that is an opinion or that is very exclusive when you say that, that there's only one way of salvation. But that's what the Bible declares. The Bible says that there is no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved. Jesus said, except one come through him, they cannot come to the Father. So Jesus then is the source of eternal life. There is no eternal life according to Scripture. There is no eternal life in heaven apart from Jesus Christ. He is the source of eternal life. He is the source of abundant life. The Bible says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I trusted the Lord and was what the Bible calls saved. Then forgiven of sin, I'm going to heaven someday. I believe that because that's what the Bible declares. And I believe the Bible is the Word of God. But you know what? Between salvation and glorification, there has been a considerable amount of time. Because I was saved when I was young. And during that time, from salvation to glorification, I have received an abundant life. I, I, I wish, and I, and I know that I can't, I, I know that that is the job of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I, I look at our students, I look at the children, I look at the young people in our church. And I say, I wish that somehow I could convince you Somehow that I could tell you that if you want real life, if you want an abundant life, you'll find it in following Jesus. Well, I know that Satan will tell you that if you get involved in this and that is going to be exciting and all of these kinds of things. But remember, he disguises himself as having the answer. He disguises himself as being the light, but he is not. An abundant life is found in Christ. God has blessed. Linda and I sometimes just want to pinch ourselves. We get to talking about how God has been so good to us, how he's been so faithful to us, how he has blessed our lives beyond anything we could have imagined, but that is the abundant life that he gives. You see, he is the vine, we are the branches, and so he is the source of eternal life, but he is also the source of abundant life, and that is what he has promised to give. I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. So he begins by saying that Jesus is the true vine. He is the true vine. Then he mentions branches that bear fruit in verse number two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the vine then bears fruit through the branches. So this is a picture then of what Christ does. Christ is the vine and he bears fruit through us. We are the branches, he is the vine. So he bears fruit then 
through the branches. Well, we would ask the question then, why is it that within the church there are those who fail to produce fruit? Why? How can that be? If he is the vine, we are the branches, he bears fruit through the branches, then why is it that there are those in the church who do not bear fruit? Well, the truth is some are lost. There are some who are members of the church, but not the kingdom of God. There are some who are, Paul says, who are spiritually dead. He said we were dead. That was our condition before we came to know Jesus Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Well, folks, that that is dead does not reproduce. A dead man does not father a child. A dead woman does not give birth to a child. And someone who is spiritually dead does not reproduce. There are some who are immature in the faith. They have not grown since they came to trust the Lord. They're simply immature, and so they don't bear fruit, the fruit of souls. I have read before that 95 out of 100 professing Christians never lead another person to faith in Christ. Isn't that sad? 95 out of 100 professing Christians never lead another person to faith in Christ. So there is no fruit of souls. There is no obvious fruit of the Spirit. The Bible tells us the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did you know that if you are a believer that that should be characteristic of your life? That is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When the Holy Spirit of God is in control of your life, then that is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So there are some unproductive branches, some because they are spiritually dead, some because they have just not matured. And then there are productive branches. Verse number two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. The production of spiritual fruit is the objective. That, that is what we should desire. If I'm a believer, then I sh my desire should be that I am producing spiritual fruit. Now, folks, here's the thing. We teach what we know. We reproduce what we are. See, there's, there's a difference. We, we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. All right? So then how do unproductive branches become productive. Now look what he says in verse number two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well now what does that mean? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Bruce Wilkinson gave some insight that I read concerning this. He said the word never means to cut off it never means to cut off, but is better translated to lift up. New branches tend to grow along the ground, but do not produce grapes. They become coated in dust, muddy when it rains, and mildews. The vine dresser lifts them up and cleans them off. So when he says that a branch that does not produce fruit, he, he takes away. 
It means that he lifts up and cleans. He lifts the vine up to clean it. That's what he's talking about in verse number 3. He said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So what he is saying is that as a believer, as someone who knows Jesus Christ, he is the vine, I am the branches. And using the analogy that he is using here, he says, in order for me to be productive, he lifts me up and cleans me off. Isn't that good? Because as we go through life, we all get spiritual dirt on us. We all need those times whenever we, we, uh, we, we have, have a spiritual shower. And so he says that he lifts me up and cleans me off. And then he continues in verse number two, look. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, what? He takes away, lifts up, cleans off. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. The vine that produces, we've been talking about vines that do not produce or branches that do not produce. But the one that produces, the Bible says that he prunes it so that it might produce more fruit. Now, when you read about pruning here, you have to understand something that is important. Pruning is different from discipline. There are a lot of people who read this passage of Scripture and they see this as being a reference to discipline. No, pruning is different from discipline. Wilkinson wrote, if discipline is about sin, pruning is about self. In pruning, God asks you to let go of things that keep you from His kingdom purposes and your ultimate good. All right? So the Bible says that what does God do? That we might be productive. He lifts us up cleans us off, he prunes us that we might produce more fruit. He clips away that that is in our life that keeps us from being, being uh, uh, spiritually productive. He removes those things that keep us from bearing more fruit so that we might bear more fruit. So how do we respond to pruning? I would imagine some of you are being pruned today. So how do we how do we deal with pruning? How do we respond to being pruned? Well, first of all, you acknowledge it. If you're going through a circumstance and, and maybe, maybe God is using that as a pruning in your life to, to get rid of those things that you might be more productive. And so you acknowledge it. That, okay, I have this situation that I'm dealing with over here because God is using that in my life that I might produce more fruit. So you acknowledge it first of all. And then ask the Lord. Let's say that, that your circumstance is especially difficult. Okay? You're going through a time in life right now and it is especially difficult for you. All right, ask the Lord. God, am I going through this as discipline for sin in my life? Or is this being pruned so that I might be more productive? I believe in asking the Lord questions. I know that some people see that as being a lack of faith. You just go through life and you try whatever, whatever will be, will be. That's a good song, but it's not, it's not good theology. Ask the Lord. Lord, I'm going through a really tough time here. Lord, Lord I'm, 
I'm having some struggles here. And I'd like to know why so that I can deal with it. Am I going through this because there is sin in my life and you are disciplining me for that sin that I might put it away? Or Lord, is this a time of pruning in my life so that I might become more productive? So you ask the Lord and then you accept it. Okay, God, this is uncomfortable for me, but I believe that you're working in my life that I might be more like Jesus, that I might be more effective. So even though it is difficult for me, I nevertheless accept it. Because we want to be branches that bear fruit, and that's what is expected. Then he says we are to abide in him. Verse number four, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. God disciplines us to remove sin. He prunes us to change our priorities that we might align with his purposes. Now, the word abide, he says that we are to abide in him. That is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, if you want to, abide in me. It is a command. It is an imperative. If you are a believer, then the imperative is that you believe or that you abide in him. What does that mean? To abide in Christ, what does it mean? Well, first of all, it would uh, imply unity. The reason I say that is because you have the vine and you have the branches. There is unity, right? I mean, they are one, there is unity. So when he says abide in me, that means that we are in unity with him. To abide in him means unity. Just as the branch is united to the vine, so I am in unity with Christ. That means then if I am a believer and I am in opposition to the Word of God, then the unity that is expected is not characteristic of my life. To, be, to abide in Him means unity, that I'm one with Him. So that means that I'm faithful to His Word. And then he says in verse number 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Okay, without Christ, I cannot produce fruit because I'm cut off, I'm dead. I have no life in me apart from Christ. Just as the branch that is cut off from the vine cannot produce fruit, neither can I. But he says when I abide in him, what happens? Now then I produce much fruit. I abide in him, that's an imperative, and if I'm abiding in him, I produce much fruit. Now, there's a warning in verse number 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This verse of Scripture has been troublesome for a lot of believers, so we have to understand it within context. Because there are a lot of believers who read this passage of Scripture and they conclude that this is speaking of losing one's salvation, that I am saved, but now then I lose my salvation. But when we look at it in context, that is not what it's dealing with because the verse is not dealing with hell. It is not dealing with a person going to hell. That is not what the verse is addressing. Instead, it is addressing uselessness. The wood 
of the vine that does not produce grapes is worthless. It is useless. So what happens? It is cut off, used for firewood. It is speaking of uselessness. What he is saying then within the context of this passage of Scripture, the believer who does not produce spiritual fruit is useless to the kingdom of God. If you are not producing spiritual fruit, then you're like a piece of wood on the grapevine that does not produce. Thus you are useless to the kingdom of God because you are not producing fruit. But the promise is, as we abide in him, we will produce spiritual fruit. So what are the principles or how do we abide in him? Don't don't you want to abide in the Lord? If you're a believer, you do. I know that. So how do we do it practically? How do we abide in the Lord? Well, first of all, by spending time with Him. You cannot know God unless you spend time with Him. You know, you know someone because you spend time with them, right? Linda and I spend time together. Every morning we spend about an hour drinking coffee and talking. Honestly, I do most of the talking, so she knows me better than I do her. But you have to spend time with the person. If you're going to know someone, you have to spend time with them. And then practice his presence. After you read the Bible, don't let that be the end. Now then you practice his presence. After you've been to church, that shouldn't be the end. You practice his presence. Well, what does that mean? It means that I I live aware of God's presence at all times. You know, the sad things for so many people who come to church is that they come to church, they sing, they, they listen to the message, maybe they go to Sunday school or whatever, and then that's over. That's all there is. Let me ask you, do you see God's presence? Do you see His presence when you're at school? When you're in class? Do you see God's presence? When you're at home, do you see God's presence? When you're at work, do you see God's presence? If you're going to abide in Him, then you practice His presence. Lord's everywhere. Lord's everywhere. Not just when I come. See, some people think that He only resides at 1306 Hampton Street. He might even be across the street in the Presbyterian Church. Who knows? (laughs) Practice His presence. See the Lord in everything. There are some misconceptions about abiding in Him. There are those who think of it as being a feeling. You know, if I have that feeling, if I, mean, if I, if I, if I feel spiritual, then I'm, I'm abiding in the Lord, right? If I feel spiritual, I'm abiding in the Lord. No, His presence is a relationship, not a sensation. Probably not good for a preacher to say this, but a lot of times I don't feel anything. I know it's not good for a husband, but a lot of times I don't feel anything about Linda. Because it's not about a feeling. You see, if it's about a feeling, when you have the feeling, then you're in love. When you have the feeling, then you're abiding in Him. And when you don't, you're not. That's not what it is. It's not a sensation. It is a relationship. And you cannot abide in Him and be disobedient to Him. John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, let me conclude with this. I'm assuming that most of you are Christians. I don't know your heart. Neither does anyone else. Only God. 
If you are a Christian, then you're in one of three seasons of life concerning what we're looking at today. Some of you might be in a season of discipline. If there is sin in your life that you've not dealt with, then God will discipline you to remove the sin. There are some of you who are in the season of pruning. You see, if you're bearing fruit, the Lord will cut away from you all those things that keep you from bearing more fruit because He wants you to be more productive. So some of you are in a season of pruning. And some of you are in a season of abiding. Verse 8, this is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. If you're abiding in Him, you're producing fruit, which brings glory to Him. I don't know where you are. But our goal should be, Lord, I want to abide in you. And I hope that is the desire of your heart. Our Father in God, as we come to this time, I pray that you will reveal to us what you see when you look at us. Lord, for those who are being disciplined for sin, I pray today that they might forsake it. For those who are being pruned, help them to understand that this is happening so that they will bear more fruit. And Lord, may we abide in you today as we spend time, in with, time with you, as we practice your presence. Even during this invitation time, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. If you've never trusted Christ, let me encourage you to do so today. What better day to trust the Lord? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. You come. If you just want to come and pray, you feel free to do that. Let's stand together as we stand. They sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.